Well, y'all, three weeks ago, we began this series entitled, After This Life. And it all began by us learning that according to the Bible, there is more after this life. We continued by examining what will happen immediately after death. And then last week, we saw the fate of a poor, unhealthy beggar named Lazarus who showed us that heaven is going to be far better than you ever thought it would be. Today, we're going to conclude looking at these two men and their eternal destinies. Only today, we're going to turn our attention to that rich man's destiny. And he's going to show us that hell ain't no joke. Now i got to make a confession to you that as I prepared this week, I struggled. I struggled this week realizing that the next obvious message in this little series had to be a message about that awful place called hell. And honestly, I said this to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't want to preach about that awful place. When people come here, I want them to hear feel-good messages. I want them to leave here lifted up. I don't want them to leave here gloomy and sad. I want them to leave here joyful. And ready for the Lord to do a mighty work in their life. And it was almost as if the Lord Jesus spoke to me in an audible voice. And it was like Jesus said, yeah, I didn't like it much either. I didn't like preaching about hell either. But I taught more about hell than I ever did about heaven. And the reason I did is because I didn't want anyone, anyone to go to that awful place. I read about one man who came up to his preacher after the message. And that man said to his preacher, he said, Preacher, do you want to know what's even scarier than hell? Pastor couldn't imagine anything scarier than that. And that man said, Imagine falling into the depths of hell and seeing your child or your grandchild fall past you, screaming, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? That'd be scarier than hell ever could be. One survey reported that 64% of Americans believe that there is a hell. And what's surprising is that same poll indicates that more Americans believe in hell now than they did even back in the 1950s or even 10 years ago. 
So according to these surveys in America, the debate is not if hell exists. The debate is what is it? Where is it? And how long does it last? So what is hell? Well, if you ask people throughout the country, you're likely to get one of five different opinions about hell. One is outright denial. Some will say that hell is only a fable to frighten people to get them to do what the church wants them to do. They say, hell don't even exist. But if there's no hell, then there can be no heaven. Why do you say that, Bill? Well, in the Bible, Jesus mentions hell 56 times and heaven only 24 times. So you can't reject hell without rejecting Jesus. Secondly, some believe that hell is only earthly suffering. This is the belief that hell is just all the bad things that people go through while they're here on earth. There's a third opinion. And it's the belief that hell is what's called annihilation. You just get wiped out. This is the belief that hell is the final destruction of anything and everything and everyone who is evil. The fourth opinion is the belief in restoration. You see, there are some people who actually believe that everybody's going to get saved and go to heaven. But the biblical evidence is clear. The biblical evidence reveals that not everyone is going to make it to heaven. And fifth, and what I believe is the only opinion that matters, the only option that's supported by Scripture, is the belief that hell is a real place. A real place of eternal suffering. In the narrative that Jesus has been sharing with us about, Jesus shares about this rich man and this beggar named Lazarus. And in that narrative, in that factual story, Jesus gives us a glimpse, just a glimpse, mind you, of this terrifying place called hell. In your Bibles, in Luke chapter 16, I think it was not page 916 in the Bibles in front of you, give or take, Luke chapter 16, I'm going to share the, this passage for the last time, but I'm going to make a little addition there at the end. In Luke 16 and verse 19, listen to what the Lord Jesus says. He says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, lived in luxury. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores and poor health, who was laid at the rich man's gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked Lazarus' sores. And so it was that the beggar died. 
And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. We've discovered that that's a Jewish way of saying, into the presence of the Lord. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember. Remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, likewise evil, Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted in you or tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, they cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Then the rich man said, I beg you. Notice who's doing the begging now. The rich man said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to the rich man, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they've got the word of God. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, if one goes to them from the dead, mm -hmm, then they will repent. They'll turn from their sin. But, the rich, but Abraham said to the rich man, If they don't hear Moses and the prophet, if they don't listen to the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. Today, I want to point out to you three important truths that this passage reveals about that awful place called hell. The first of which is, hell is a place of misery. In verse 23, did you notice the first thing that the rich man is doing? The rich man is crying. Why is the rich man crying? Because he's in torment. He's being tormented by that flame. But then the sentence goes on and we find that the rich man is begging for mercy. Why does the rich man need mercy? being tormented in that flame. We find the rich man begging for even the smallest amount of water to relieve his suffering. Why is he suffering? Because he's being tormented in that flame. And he says of himself, I am tormented in this flame. But then verse 25 Abraham also uses that word tormented to describe this man's condition in hell. It's not something that happens and quits. It's a condition that he finds forevermore. And then in verse 27, the rich man begs again. Lazarus was begging at his gate. In his earthly life. But now the rich man is begging for his family to be warned. 
It's so bad. He's not worried so much about himself anymore. He's worried about his family. He wants his family to be warned about this place so that they will not come to this horrible, indescribable place of torment. I read a story about an evangelist who was urging people to repent of their sins, to turn to Jesus, and to avoid God's wrath to come. He said, I warn you, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. To which instantly this older lady in the back stood up and said, Preacher, I ain't got no teeth. The preacher said, don't you worry, darling. Teeth will be provided. You see, there are some people who have been trying to tell us for decades that the flame this rich man was enduring, this hell, is only symbolic. They say the fire that this rich man spoke of, it ain't literal fire. No, it's only a figure of speech, they say. But what I've learned in my life is that most of the time, a figure of speech is less intense than the reality. So if the reality of hell is more intense than the speech, just imagine how awful the punishment for sin must be. But this is not the only place that the Bible describes hell. Because in one parable, Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness. Now it's hard for me to imagine a place of fire where there ain't no light. It's hard for me to imagine a place of darkness with such intense heat. But then I read about people who work in deep mines far underground. And I read that not only is there total darkness in those deep mines, there's also insufferable heat. The heat is so extreme in those deep mines, it can only be tolerated for a very few minutes at a time. In fact, at only three kilometers deep, the temperature in those deep mines can surpass 158 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's just a glimpse of the unending heat and absolute darkness that's being described in the Bible. In verse 24... The rich man begged for one single small drop of water to ease his suffering. Now I can't speak for you, but that would have to be the worst part of heaven or hell. But you know, that's not the worst part. The worst part of hell, as one preacher points out, is the fact that that rich man still has not received 
one single drop of water to ease his suffering. Hell is described as this conscious place. Oh, you know you're there. It's a conscious place of suffering. It's a conscious place in flames. It's a conscious place in darkness. And it happens for all eternity. But hell's not only a place of misery. We also learn that hell is a place of memory. Look there in verse 25 again. But Abraham said, son, remember. Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, there is a gulf, a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. See, beyond the fact that hell is a constant and conscious place of misery... We also see that it's a conscious place of memory and undeniable and profound regret. How do you know, Bill? Verse 25, Abraham said to that rich man, Son, remember. Remember. Those two words in and of themselves convey perhaps the most horrifying aspects of hell, here comes memory. Memory. When I began this series, I quoted a preacher that said, hell is a place shrouded in darkness where all of its inhabitants are deprived of anything good and overwhelmed with unending regret. And with all their memories, with all their faculties, with all their feelings fully intact, images of their life return again and again to haunt them. They think back to their family. They think back to their friends. And they agonize over the opportunities they squandered knowing full well that a future in hell is hopeless and unending. Whew. In today's verses, the mind of the rich man is filled. Filled with images of poor Lazarus laying in his front door. Begging for crumbs. I bet you that rich man remembers all those who tried to tell him about God. I bet that rich man remembers some of the sermons he may have heard about the Lord. I'll bet you that rich man remembers what some of those people warned him about, about the coming judgment of God. To see, friend, in, in hell, there's no torment greater than a haunting memory. You see, in hell, it's impossible to forget. The rich man 
He couldn't take his money. But you know what he did take? He took his memory. And he learned that there's no way out. That you can't get out of hell because when you're there, you're there forever. Now, there are some cults around the world that will try to tell you that once you get to hell, you can work your way out of it. And that would be a wonderful thing. But it just ain't true. You can't get a transfer out of hell. You can't cross over to another place from hell. Abraham explains to this rich man that there is this great gulf fixed between heaven and hell. In other words, there's no hope of crossing over to anything because of this gulf. Heaven is not like a prison where just maybe you might get paroled. Maybe on good behavior you might get pardoned. Maybe you can look forward to the time where you do your time and get released. But friend, hell is forever and it's inescapable. And there are no second chances. God ain't changing his mind because there's this great gulf fixed. It's immovable. And hell... It's too late to pray. In hell, it's too late to change your life. In hell, it's too late to repent of your sins and turn from that behavior. In hell, it's just too late to be saved. I read a book entitled Dante's Inferno. An older book. But in this book, hell is described in graphic detail. It's kind of scary, really. Much of, the, much of the book, rather, is based on speculation, just human guesses, really. But there is one area of the book where the book is in full agreement with the Bible. And it's here. Near the beginning of the book, the main character approaches the entrance of heaven, of hell, and he sees a sign there at the entrance of hell. And that sign says, Abandon hope, all you who enter here. It's a pretty good description of what happens in hell. A tragedy greater than that, a tragedy greater than having no hope, almost seems to be Hard to imagine. But to miss the greatest opportunity we have, that opportunity to go to heaven and be with our Father for all eternity, now, now that seems unbearable. But there's something worse. To miss it. And to know you missed it for all eternity. Surely, one of the most fearful and horrible horrors of hell is the undying memory, listen carefully, of what could have been. That being replayed in your mind over and again. 
I could be in heaven. I could have been saved. But hell is not only a place of misery. It's not only a place of memory. Hell is also a place of mourning. Look in verse 27. The rich man said, I beg you. I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of misery, this place of memory, and this place of mourning, this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they got the Bible, they need to listen to it. Then the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, if somebody goes from the dead, surely they'll repent. But Abraham said to him, now, if they're not going to listen to the Bible, they ain't going to listen to somebody who rises from the dead either. Did you notice what you didn't hear? Did you notice that you didn't hear that rich man um, partying with all of his friends? No, in fact, it sounds like he's very much alone. Did you notice what you didn't hear? Did you notice that the rich man said, Man, I am so glad my brothers will be here soon. We're going to have a great time when they get here. No. He didn't say that either. No, hell will not be a giant nightclub where in between drinks, sinners share the escapades of their earthly life. No, it's going to be profound sadness, a place of mourning. I read about billionaire Ted Turner and something he said to a group he was speaking to. And Ted Turner said, remember, heaven is going to be perfect. So I don't think that's really a place I want to go. Because I ain't perfect. And then he said this. He said, most of us in this room are going to hell. And laughter broke out in the audience. This ain't no laughing matter. Hell ain't no joke. But he went on to say, hey, when we all get to hell, we're going to have a chance to make things better. Because hell is supposed to be a mess. And we're all a hot mess. Went on to say, heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring, boring. And laughter breaks out in the audience. Hell is no laughing matter. Hell ain't no joke. And friend, listen. If you don't leave here with anything else but this this morning. You need to know that somebody, somebody has got to warn these people about this awful place. God is relying on you to speak to those in your circle to warn them so that they won't go to this awful place of misery and memory and mourning. 
Somebody's got to warn them. And that's why Jesus preached about hell twice as much as he did heaven. It was that big of a deal to the Son of God. So today, let me summarize what Luke 16 says will happen to some after this life. First of all, we found that the dead are still alive. Both Lazarus and this rich man survived their own funerals. We think that this is the land of the living, but it's not really. If you think about it, it's the land of the dying. The minute we're born, we begin this process whereby we die. And when we die, one day we will wake up and spend eternity in one of those two places, heaven or hell. But the dead also retain their own personalities and their essential character. Lazarus is still Lazarus, and the rich man is still the rich man. Even in hell, this rich man could see. This rich man could hear. He could feel. He could recognize people. He could remember. The rich man could speak. He could reflect. He could plead. He could suffer. And he could also think ahead to what he wanted his brothers not to have to experience. There was only one thing he couldn't do. Rich man couldn't get out. He couldn't get out. So dead, the dead retained their personalities and their basic character. But thirdly, death marks this final separation between the saved and the lost. Once in heaven, always in heaven. Somebody say amen. But once in hell, always in hell. No one can pass from one place to the other, even if you wanted to. So hell is real, but you don't have to go there. Hell is real, but your friends and your family do not have to go there. Hell can be avoided. If one will listen to the word of God and what God says will provide salvation for the human soul, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, if a person will listen to that word, if they will turn from their sin, hell can be avoided. The truth is this. God loves you. God loves us and he doesn't want a single soul to have to go to that awful place. Why? Because hell was not intended for human habitation. The Bible says clearly in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Get this. Prepared for the devil and his angels. So why was hell made? Why was hell prepared? It was designed for Satan and all the demons. It wasn't designed for people. But as C.S. Lewis said, any person who chooses hell will get it. Anyone can choose hell if they want it. And there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. Or there are those to whom God says, okay, thy will be done. People choose it. They choose hell. And all that are hell 
Choose it. You know, we often hear people say, how could a God of love allow any of his creatures to suffer unending misery? Well, the truth of the matter, the answer is this. God loves us so much that he respects your decision. And if that's the choice you make, then he'll allow you to make that decision. He loves you, but he's not going to force his love on you. He loves you. He won't force his love on you. If he loves you, if he forced you to love, then you wouldn't be nothing more than a robot. A robot doing God's bidding. But here's your upside to a gloomy message. A gloomy message like this tells us that in a manner of speaking, you and I as believers, we hold the key to hell. You and I have insider information about how people can avoid that awful place. What will you do with that insider information that you have? What's the insider information? The insider information is that God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish in a place of, of misery, in a place of memory, or in a place of mourning. No, they would not perish, but have everlasting life. What's the key? Believing in Jesus. Friend, not, let not our children be able to ever say to us, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Let not your friend be able to ever say, why didn't you tell me that there was an alternative to where I was headed? Now, ultimately, God does allow us to decide. He loves us. He loves you. He encourages your response to his love. I mean, he will pursue you. He will urge you to come. He will even put people in your path to lead you into a relationship with him. But God will never, ever force you to love him. He loves you enough to allow you to make your own decisions. And as Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. So I'll preach that message again in another decade because I don't like talking about that awful place. But I do like talking about a relationship with God and the heaven that it offers. And my prayer for you is that you will accept the love of God that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that you'll avoid that awful place. But listen up, Christian. My prayer is also for you that no one you know, no one in your family, will scream past you and say, why didn't you tell me? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the offer of eternal life in heaven. 
Father, our prayer is, is that we be so convicted by what we've learned today and what Jesus taught us about what the rich man endured that, Father, there won't be a single person in our sphere of influence that's going to go to hell. No, they're going to hear about the God who loves them. They're going to hear about the Savior who died for them. And they're going to hear about the Holy Spirit that will indwell them and help them to live a godly life. Father, if there's anyone here in person or anyone listening online that needs to understand what your word says about how people can be saved from the penalty of sin in this awful, awful place, Father, I pray that they are swift to make today a day of decision. They place their faith in Christ and Him alone, not in what some preacher says, not in what a church says, but in what Jesus said. That if you will believe in me, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, that's our decision, that's our desire for everybody within earshot of our voices today. And we ask you now, to speak to us as only you can as we make the decisions that we must make in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.